Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place right here between the turns in your favorite game. I'm Jake. And I'm Brendan. And today we are talking about a very special game, a huge game. Actually, it's a pretty small game. It's Hey, That's My Fish. And we're dedicating a whole episode to this very light, very fun kind of family game. And I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, a huge game in the moments that you might remember after playing it. Though a pretty small table space, 60 tiles, few penguin pieces, uh, and a lot of fun. How are you doing this week, Jake? I am doing great. I have my laptop back, so hopefully you'll hear some nice sound effects uh, in this episode. Sorry about last (laughs) week. Uh, (laughs) so, So just a small hiccup because I left my computer uh, in in Kansas, which is tough to edit a podcast on when you are sitting in St. Louis. It's tough to mad- manage your avid podcasting career when you have your pro kickball career happening simultaneously. Yeah, that that is very true. Um, I've been, you know, I've talked a lot about playing disc golf on this podcast, but I'm also very passionate about playing the game for little kids that is kickball um, and actually have had cause to travel the four and a half hour drive to Kansas to play in a, in a few uh, important games lately, including this past week, which gave me the opportunity to pick up my laptop and bring us back here. So it's pretty insane. <laughs> it's pretty kickball. Insane. It's not like backyard kickball with like six people on each team. It's like full teams and like 100 people spectating 200 people spectating so the way the league works is there's 36 teams and all the games take place on sunday in lawrence kansas and all the games start at either a 5 p.m or a 7 p.m start time with the exception of the game of the week which is sort of the whatever matchup is determined to be the most fun or competitive for spectators that week Uh, And that one starts at 9.15. So traditionally, all the other teams kind of come flooding into the the stadium and, you know, get anywhere from really 300 to 500 (sighs) spectators. And it's a complete blast. So my my team, uh, longtime team, I've been a, a member of the Love Garden Squids for, I believe this is my eighth season on the Squids and ninth season overall in the league. Uh, so we were picked for the game of the week, and it was just, I'm just a little too close here in St. Louis to talk myself out of making the drive to play under the lights. <laughs> Four and a half hours is a commitment, I will say. So the passion's clearly there. Yeah, but we won the game. It was super competitive, a comeback victory. Uh, I kicked in a, a base clearing triple to kind of get us back into the game. So... I'll I'll send done. Well worth it. I'm so glad I went. So amazing. I'm also just so impressed. We were talking a little bit before the show about your base clearing triple and the fact that you were able to off like an on the ground kick to shortstop convert into a triple. That's like such an exciting moment. I feel like Jake, this is a topic we could just go on and on about because we clearly love talking about sports here. Um, But I'm curious for any listeners out there, if you'd be interested in hearing a sports episode let us know that the appetite is there you don't just want the metaphors constantly dripping through the seams of every show you want an entire show dedicated i think we're definitely 
going to do that, whether listeners like it or not. And I'm I'm actually uh, in in the back of my head. I know there uh, in, in the near future, uh, it's very likely that you will be uh, missing in action for a few episodes. And one of the, the episodes I'm planning to do then will be a uh, maybe even a, a mini series of gateway sports episodes so you know people talk a lot about gateway board games in the hobby um and so i want to talk a little bit about some kind of gateway sports that people who are board gamers but maybe not as experienced in recreational sports uh might really enjoy playing so i'm gonna i want to do a dedicated kickball episode with with some of my uh good friends from from this league i'm talking about and then i think i uh I need to run it by my friends here, but I'd love to do a gateway sports episode on disc golf with Paul and Jamie, my disc golf buddies here in St. Louis. And I think, I think there's a lot of crossover and and those would be some really fun episodes to put together. Yeah. Games are games. That's right. Interesting decisions. I I can't wait. And even though you heard it here first, folks, Jake is benching me. He's sending me away. No, it's actually yeah fraternity leave stuff, but I'm really excited. It'll be fun to be a listener for a few episodes of Decision Space as well. That won't be for, well, who knows? Babies sometimes make their own plans, but that won't be for at least a, a couple months still. So a hearty handful of episodes to dive into first. With that initial banter, people are here because they want to hear about, hey, the that's fish. my fish. Last thing, we'll... Just for our pre-planners out there, you're already well aware, but next week will be a What We Talk About episode. I don't think we have a topic ironed out yet. Maybe we'll do sports. Maybe we'll do something else, but uh, those are always super fun. So look forward to that. And now, without further ado, Brendan, let's get into our ratings and slogans for Hey, That's My Fish. Hey, That's My Fish is a highly interactive romp that plays out in just a handful of minutes. Like a snow cone, it packs a flavorful punch up front, despite maybe being a little one note as an experience overall. Regardless, just like a snow cone, I'll always be happy to return to a game of Hey, That's My Fish when the day calls for refreshing reprieve and enjoy the treat melting away before me. 8.5 out of 10. Wow, that's a high rating. That's a little higher than I expected. Um, that's that's wonderful. This game's uh, brilliant. It's such a good game. Yeah. So I think for me, Hey, That's My Fish is an excellent example of a game that just is reduced down to the core of an idea, um, but without really reducing the strategy and tactics at play. Uh, so it's just, it's such a simple and wonderful little nugget. It's essentially, I'll talk more about it. What I feel like this game is, is really like iter. It's a, it's a bunch of iterative games of chicken going on uh, all the, all at the same time between multiple parties, which is a very, very fun experience to be a part of. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. It's, it's a wonderful game. I think it's great. And I'll, I'll play it anytime it's brought up. Awesome. I'll be, it'll be interesting to see, too, if we return to Turbulence then for the first time in a few episodes since we haven't sort of had Turbulence with some of our most recent games. But it sounds like we might be able to find a few things. Um, so I guess is now a good time, Jake? To I guess we should talk about the designer. So the game is designed by Gunter Cornet, who you might know uh, also as the designer of Kahuna. That's a Cosmos two-player game. And also notably the Bottle Imp, which comes highly recommended from some uh, friends in our Discord. And also it's co-designed with Alvidas Jacqueline Unas, 
Uh, and Hey, That's My Fish is his most common or his most well-known title. Uh, apologies if I butchered your name. I'm sorry. Uh, hey, That's My Fish was first published in 2003, uh, and it plays two to four players. We'll get into this a little bit, but it's uh, answers the problem of scaling in a, in a pretty interesting way. And I thought its tagline was really cute, so I included it here. Uh, that's quest for the most fish, but don't get stranded as ice disappears beneath your feet. It's like very succinct and punchy. That's and I liked right. it. Just like, this, just like this game, succinct and punchy. Have yes. you played Kahuna or the Bottle Imp? I haven't. I've meant to play Kahuna for a long time. And now the Bottle Imp has come recommended from like two totally separate groups of, of people. Uh, so it's definitely one I need to get the table. How, how about you, Jake? I haven't, but I'd be interested. I think Kahuna's on uh, Yukida. So maybe it's one we should check out for a future episode or just to play yeah, for fun i'd love we to should check it out it uh it's in the cosmos two-player series which lost cities is also in so i feel like all of those games it just piques my interest i'm like ooh, good two-player games interdecisional spaceship we're gonna need you to play the audio for hey that's my fish rules overview beep, boop, boop, boop. Hey That's My Fish is a highly interactive, abstract movement game for two to four players. In Hey That's My Fish, players compete to collect the most fish from ice floats represented by hexagonal tiles showing one, two, or three fish on them. To do this, players move one of their penguin pieces as far as they'd like in a straight line without going off the board, hitting another player's penguin, or crossing an empty space. Then, that player collects the tile they moved from, leaving an empty space in the game board. Play continues like this clockwise around the table as each turn one tile is removed and the play space wanes until no valid moves remain, at which point the game ends and players count up all the fish on tiles they've collected. The player who's collected the most fish wins. Depending on player count, players will control two, three, or four penguins on the game board, but the same 60 tiles, 30 tiles depicting a single fish, 20 tiles depicting two fish, and 10 tiles depicting three fish are randomly arranged into a square to start the game. This gives the game a variable play space, so no two games feel exactly alike. To start the game, players take turns adding one of their penguins to the board and may only add their penguins to tiles showing a single fish. That's everything you need to know about this brutal little tile game, Hey, That's My Fish. Thank you, Brendan, for that <laughs> wonderful rules overview uh, for Hey, That's My Fish. Hopefully that gives people a good idea of how to play this very simple game. Um, and let's jump right in. We're here in our spaceship. We're looking around. Let's let's explore the character and characterize the decision space for this light game. Type waning period end of discussion. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's literally a game built on the concept of waning. As every turn, you are removing one tile from the play space. And interestingly, I think we'll get into this too, Jake. Uh, but you you're removing one tile, but by placing your penguin on another tile, you're removing another tile from the potential spaces your opponents can occupy, which I think is also very interesting and sort of a. Uh, you don't take it off the board you're going to claim it but that sort of like delayed claiming of the fish you're really every turn sort of you've 
permanently remove the one you leave and you're permanently removing the one you move to. You just aren't pulling it off the board yet. And that's an interesting sort of first level heuristic that as a player you have to get over. The feel, uh, the penguin on the box, uh, there's this, the, the cover, at least the Fantasy Flight Games cover, has a penguin in the background just like clutching his flippers. <laughs> uh, wings and looking <laughs> towards the sky like cursing um and that's the feel of the game most of the time like oh my gosh you scoundrel those are my fish yeah we we talked a little bit about this beforehand but the name of the game is it's it's pretty unique right yeah. you don't get very often board games named that are literally like an exclamation of the table talk but you know i had this idea that Perhaps they they you know had this game prototype going at a play test session, and somebody kind of called out of the table like, "Hey, that's my fish!" And the person sitting there taking notes was like, "That's the title." Totally, it'd be like if the resistance was called "You're the Traitor," or if like Catan was called "Two Sheep for a for a Brick." Two Sheep for a Brick, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think of the size of this decision? Goddamn sheep, Brian. <laughs> but this, it just works so well. I, I just It gets you right in the headspace of like, oh, it's okay to be mean in this game. It's the point. It is, yeah. And it, it you know, it, it, I feel like it, it does a good job too of not only giving people permission to be mean uh, in a way that, you know, in a... In a other family games perhaps might turn people off like this is like hey this is what this game is it's mean and also sort of sets the stage of like let's have some fun table talk here totally in in a way that you know if this game was just called like ice flows or something like that i you know it's such a tactical and strategic experience at the core um that and even playing it sometimes as is, uh, it can be a really quiet game where people mm. are just like hunched over the table, looking at the the board, calculating, playing the moves. So I think, I think just like the lightheartedness of of the um, name, but also the art that you're talking about, and in, in, in the even the little tiny penguin sculpts, at least in my edition of the game, are like, which is I think the most recent really small box version the penguins are so emotive right like they're like crying out in frustration or like carrying a sack of fish or i don't know racing around that it really does liven up the game in in an important way uh that i think does make that feel feel more like lighthearted Mm. um than than the game itself actually is yeah and it's important to to note that part of the reason why the game works is because it's so quick the the decision space wanes so quickly that it never feels that bad that you made a critical error stranding yourself on a two float island in the second turn of the game because people have like socked you into a corner because you're just you'll play again and that's great that's like what these games kind of do what do you think of the size of the decision space jake you're making the same decision um over and over there's one decision in the game where do you want to move your penguins but in terms of the actual size especially at the outset um like where where does it compare or like it's so hard with abstract games you know i think that like one of the things that's really fun about this game is like you know you're absolutely right this is clearly a waning game it's almost like a definitive version of that yeah but 
the pace at which it wanes down to nothing from really at the beginning, I think your decision space is huge. Yeah. I mean, you're uh, like when you're placing your fish out, I don't know exactly how many you have to place your penguin on a, on a one fish space. So there's 30, there's 30. All right. So, you know, there's 30 different spaces and it's really difficult to say that any of them aren't viable at mm-hmm. the start of the game. Um, and you also want to factor in, you know, like what your opponents might do and, and like where your subsequent placements might be that that is a quite big space. Um, it, it might not play out as like this huge stinky thing in practice as much because even if there's a ton of viable spaces, like the difference between them might not always be super great. Uh, so, so players don't necessarily need to take a, a whole long time evaluating each and every one. Um, you know, just some really quick heuristics can kind of get you into a, a good spot pretty quickly. But I do think that decision space is there and perhaps even bigger than than that initial placement when you're taking your first turn and you've got three penguins on the board, which can most closely be associated with, you know, a queen in chess, right? They can Mm. go as far as you want in any direction. Um, So you're essentially looking at this chess board and you've got three queens in the middle of it that can go anywhere. um, And the first move you're going to make is going to have huge repercussions that are going to just ripple throughout the whole rest of the game that I feel like the decision space really opens up into, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what our number scale was, but honestly, like closer to the higher end of, of that than the bottom. Yeah, that's really interesting. The number scale you're talking about when in our first handful of episodes, <laughs> we tried to rate the size of decision spaces, I think on a scale of zero to 100, which ended up not being our most useful lens. Uh, but I would agree it, that especially early on, um, the decision space feels huge in terms of viable decisions. And I, Interestingly, the board wanes down linear, linearly. You Every turn, a towel is going to get removed, every player's turn. But the decision space, I feel like, wanes uh, much more quickly than that in terms of the viable... You still have a lot of choices, but your actual decisions that you can choose between, right? those viable choices that push you closer to victory, I think shrink pretty quickly. But what really intrigues me is... So the variability of the board is a, a key aspect of this game, I think. And I talked about it some in the rules overview. But basically, no two boards are ever going to be exactly the same because there's the 30 single fish tiles, the 22 fish tiles, and the 10 three fish tiles that are randomly arranged in roughly the shape of a square. Um, and I feel like one thing that's so interesting about Hey, That's My Fish is it's so it's very difficult to evaluate the effectiveness of a move on a given turn early in the game because so much of the value of a potential play has to do with the plays your opponents take. Um, So, and it's hard to tell even what an optimal move is in that instance, because your optimal moves depend on the moves your opponents take. So, and you have to sort of think, okay, especially when it's um, a sort of maybe a third of the ice floats are gone. You're really thinking and you're trying to get inside the other player's head to some extent of, are they going to sort of move down here and try to carve out this part of the board? Or are they going to move up here? And and wh- what will they do? And you very quickly end up in that sort of uh, donkey's face area 
the the term that we've gone back to, which I think could make a, a great uh, what we talk about episode at some point. Uh, I've been tracing the etymology of it a little bit, trying to sort of figure out how I came to learn that term uh, and have locked it down. But I'll save it in case we get to a new, we actually do an episode on it. But again, the idea of I think that Jake's going to do uh, X. So I'm going to do Y to counter X, but then Jake might do C or Z. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm totally with you. And I think like the, and what I was talking about in my sort of uh, slogan or whatever, which was sort of rambling and not really coherent when, when I'm talking about like an iterative game of chicken, Mm. very often when you're competing with an opponent for territory and Hey, that's my fish. Whoever makes the first move into that area is often the one that gets on the losing end. Like yeah. if you race to the bottom first and I go there second, I, it's really easy to position the penguin in a way that, you know, you're cutting off your opponent on that side of the board. Um, so a lot of the game ends up being, you know, even though you can move your penguin all the way, you know, across the board if you want to, a lot of the time, it, it's these games of two penguins moving like one space closer to each other, like one at a time, one at a time, uh, and and not wanting to be the first one to actually like take that gamble um, because you're giving up access to, to the rest of the board. Uh, so figuring out when it's like, okay, I'm going to put myself in a position that cuts me off because it's going to, give me you know the exclusive ability to collect these three valuable fish tiles you know determining like when in the game it's worth it to essentially take that one penguin out of commission for the rest of the game is a huge and uh it's really an important decision point and, and a really interesting one yeah i i feel like i want to sort of touch on what you just said jake because i think it's so essential to how i experience learning the game which i, I I first came across this game in maybe 2013 or 2014, maybe slightly later, 2014, 2015, maybe. And upon reading the rulebook and setting it up, I did the thing that I feel like most hate that my fish players do, which is like, okay, I'm going to move completely across the board on my first move. And it's going to be this this game of completely sweeping moves where we're racing across the entire board. And then you sort of quickly realize that being able to be next to the ice float that you just cleared is also quite powerful because then you have sort of this two this two hole gap that you're sort of holding down um so to but the flip side of that is when you're playing a game where people are playing more passively taking this small moves because they can be so powerful to sort of chip away and create carve out ice floats where you can control them completely when you find that one move that is completely zipping across the board and puts you in a very powerful position you can completely potentially surprise your opponents as they're sort of not looking for it and it's this like very exciting cool moment where you like sweep in and like you know like smile at the camera almost and are like hey (laughs) that's my fish though (laughs) Um, and I sort of love that about the game. There's, there's lots of, um, it, because it's so hard to potentially actually evaluate moves, I think there is room for surprise, even when the game can get to a point where it feels like the moves are quite obvious. Absolutely. And I mean, this is an abstract game in kind of the best way in that, like, Let's see, I don't want to phrase this. Like chess, you know, a, a game we o- often go back to, and helpful examples, like 
yeah, your your objective is to take your opponent's king off the board. That's mm. how you win the game. But really, it's a game of territory control. Like mm. in order yeah. to win, you want to create such an advantageous board state that you are able to effectively create checkmate. And I think, hey, that's my fish works in such a similar way. Like, yes, like the end goal of the game is to collect the most valuable fish. But in order to do that, you're really playing a game of territory control. Uh, And, you know, when you get past that level one of you're like, yeah, I'm just going to like zip over here to get this three tile uh, and, and start thinking more in terms of how am I using my three penguins on the board to like wall off certain areas, uh, you know, just like a game of chess, you know, surprise my opponent by slipping past the defenses in, in an unsuspecting or surprising way, um, you know, or even like fork your opponent by putting your penguin uh, in, in such a way that no matter what they choose next, you know, you're able to like block them off or you're able to like get resources that they thought were theirs alone. Um the game really opens up in a surprising way for a game that presents as, you know, a game that takes one minute to learn <laughs> uh, and has uh, has colorful, emotive penguin skulls. Yeah, this might be the first game that I feel like I was able to teach completely in the rules overview, which was very fun and keep it under two minutes still. Um, I Forking is so interesting when you have that first moment of forking another player. You're like, oh, this is good. It feels great. Like you you have no 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 decisions here, only choices. Um, it's an excellent moment. And I think one thing that's so interesting about the chess comparison to me too, Jake, is I think playing chess and then coming to this, in chess, you sort of appreciate that your pieces can support each other. Um, and here, right, so like not... In both games, not moving a piece can be very powerful. Uh, Mm. But in chess, it's the threat of the piece being able to take another piece, preventing your opponent from moving that. Um, But I feel like in Hey, That's My Fish, because your piece is only as powerful as the things it's claimed or the tile it's on. And the tension is really in that there's so many areas of... Every turn, you want to move all your penguins, but you can only move one of them. And that's where the the tough decision ultimately is in a lot of turns of can I, do I need to focus on my penguin in this upper left-hand corner who's slowly being closed off or the penguin in the lower right-hand corner where if I don't take this turn, I might miss out on these fish, but it depends on what the third player is going to do. And it's that to me is one of the most interesting spaces because there's no, you can't gain on tempo. You just take your turn and then that was your turn and you're going to want to move everything and you can't. And that's where you have to figure out where to take the risks. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, your your penguins can be two uh, can serve different roles. Like you mm. you might have one in your early place and you're like, wow, this is a good spot. Like I'll, I have access to a lot of valuable tiles. So maybe use your next penguin placement to just block. Yeah. Right. Like even though it theoretically, like, you know, at, at a level one understanding of the game, it doesn't make a lot of sense to put two of your penguins right next to each other on the board because that's going to be isolating you uh kind of away from a majority of the time right you're, you're closing off your options but if you can you know placing that penguin there you know blocks another person's access to those tiles like you're actually saving yourself you know movements throughout the game uh you know in, in order to cut people off that you know might it might be well worth that kind of sacrifice of access to the rest of the board 
Yeah, the ability. So the ability to coordinate your penguins is such an interesting aspect of the game, too. And so at two players, you have four penguins at three players, you have three penguins and at four players you have two penguins which i really changes sort of the dynamic and feel of the game in a lot of ways i think and sort of the decision space available to you and how much you're sort of coordinating your penguins versus trying to figure out what your opponents are doing um in terms of working off the moves you think they're going to make it's maybe we can sort of settle in and talk about what you just mentioned though jake the initial placements of the game because that's such like a rich decision space where whole games can almost be decided if played wrong at the outset of hey that's my fish yeah i i do think um that is true it 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 reminds me a lot of like Catan, where it's hard to, you can't win the game on your initial placements, but you can put yourself in such a bad position that you essentially can't win. You know, you you can lose it. Um, So, I mean, that is something that, you know, maybe, maybe one like little element of turbulence, a small one there. You know, I don't particularly love that, especially because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Especially because sometimes it can be like, you can place in a great spot, and say you're playing in a four player game and then like the next three people just like surround you completely. It's like, well, gee, that really sucks. Yeah. Just get dog piled on completely. Yeah. Totally. And maybe, you know, that's something you could think about ahead of time. You could say like, Hey, this is where all the three fish tiles are. This is such a valuable spot on the board. If I go there, am I opening myself up to get cut off? You know, so, so there is theoretically like an, an ability to outthink, but that's pretty tough to be like, I'm going to give up this lucrative space because I think somebody else will come in and cut me off later. Uh, it, it's just tough. And, and for new players, you know, it could be like, oh, I get this game. What a slam dunk this is. And then there's like, oh, okay, well, now I'm done. I picked this game up with a friend uh, to play on yukata over the weekend and i sort of mentioned to them i I was like the first game is going to be rough um but just commit to playing a second one because you're going to enjoy it way more and we got maybe a third of the way through the turns and they were like let's just start the second game like i see everything i did wrong and it would be more fun to take the mistakes i've learned here already and just go to the next one and it was and i think it's really interesting how hey that's my fish is a game where after one play the your ability to see the decision space and to see how the game plays out just so rapidly shifts you only need eight five turns and you're like oh okay i understand and then you're off to the races but the the learning curve that happens in those first five turns yeah it it lets you jump off a cliff or isolate yourself on a ice flow of two fish yeah i had a really similar experience with uh, some of my friends I was playing on Tabletop Simulator, and these are uh, guys I played a lot of Catan with in college. So board game players, but not super big hobbyists. And we tried out, hey, that's my fish after uh, our main game of the evening. And we played the first game. Uh, and my buddy Derek kind of, you know, just clicking around, like not didn't seem to really grasp it at all. Uh, I don't I don't remember, but I don't think he did particularly well. Uh, we decided to go round two. And uh, Derek, you know, makes his, we all place our penguins and and Derek is playing first and he's about to move. And he's like, hold on, hold on. And we're like, come on, just go. He's like, but this changes everything. (laughs) 
That's so and awesome. I, I was like, okay, he's got it. Now yeah. we're now we're playing. Hey, that's my fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is really interesting, Jake. How the game you can have you mentioned this such quiet turns and then such explosive turns on the other end of it, right? And that's that tension of like every move I make matters so much, and I think that comes out of the the potential to make the mistakes because it's easier to make a bad move in the game than it is to make an amazing move. Yeah, absolutely. It's like such a crazy game in the sense that like, you know, we talked about how it's waning uh, and I don't want to use the word dynamic, but each move changes so much about the game state that they always feel big, even yeah. even the small moves, because it's such a game of tempo and placement, um, you know, that that every every move is going to ripple throughout the game that even small moves are big, even if it doesn't feel like that um, at the time. Uh, so much so that, right, we talked about how that your first move is going to be a huge decision space. But by the time it gets back to you, uh, especially if you're playing, well, even if you're only playing with a two-player game, based on what your opponent does, that might reduce the decision space from like approaching, you know, hundreds of, of viable movements or something to like oh well now i have to move here because of what they've done totally you know, it can shrink that fast something like, that has to be responded to completely. right if i don't move then i lose my queen <laughs> yeah totally no definitely and i feel like partially the one thing that's so interesting about the game is the way in which you can make large ice floats all your own through clever movement where you can potentially claim really large swaths of of fish by carving out the ice and that nothing in the rules says you can do this right it's just this emergent thing that happens based on the ice melting um and i think we'd be remiss not to talk about that to some extent um because I think that those moments can be some of the most feel-good moments in the game. And partially it's because it's a game of so much uncertainty where at that moment when you've secured an ice float, uh, everything becomes certain and you know how it's going to play out. And you have lots of easy choices because you're going to claim every single little one and you get to count up all your fish. And it's just the the potential in this game for that to happen for me is part of why this game is such a win for me is I think those moments... Uh, they just feel great. They, yeah. It's, yeah. We talk about bingos a lot in games and securing like a significant ice flow to yourself, uh, you know, oftentimes feels like a bingo uh, in, in the best way. I totally agree. I've, you yeah. know, I've come to the end of the game and I'm looking at my board and I'm like, oh, you guys left me all of Greenland. That was nice. Like, thank you so much. Uh, you know, and it just feels feel like and if you do that that's going to be a win so it just feels like such a great moment and it also enables uh some of the most some of the best moments of tension in the game because you're you know flipping between you know as i was talking about at the beginning you're, you're constantly flipping and evaluating between like claiming uh island you know all to yourself to secure all these points that's going to be really good and trying to cut your opponent off right yeah. so you know there there are times in the game where you know you make a move to cut somebody off uh but that might actually be opening a path for them to you know make a move that's going to allow them to claim an area to their own and sort of like deciding like okay when when is somebody like getting cut off that's bad and when are we just like gifting somebody a whole bunch of fish to their own 
and trying to like, you know, navigate those situations. There's, there's a lot of tension there. Definitely. And the, the random placement of the board and the three different values of fish do so much good in creating moments like this, because I feel like early on, there's this tension between I really need to carve out space, but if I can pick up a few threes on the way, that feels important too. There's only 10 on the board and they're three times as valuable as, as the single fish tiles. So securing at least some of those in your pursuit of carving out territory feels quite important. Though sometimes the better move is to, you know, move to a, a single or a double and set up the larger, the larger ice flow if you can, or take the risk of doing that, um, hoping that it will play out in the way that you think it might. And I think that to me is part of the brilliance of the design is there's so many, there's not that many elements in the game. There's tiles, there's your, your markers, and there's the value of the fish. And that combined with the movement rules just creates so much crunch in terms of variability to and difficulty to assess those things. Like if the board was always the same every single time, it would be, I think it would be very easy to evaluate things after you had played enough. And the brilliance is just hiding the evaluations enough that as humans, it's always sort of foggy. Yeah. And I think that's also where this game is a very, you know, we talk about strategy versus tactics a lot. And this game is obviously like very tactical. Yeah. But I do think there that in that decision that you point out between like, do I claim this three fish tile for the points or do I, you know, give up value with this movement because it's going to create more value later in the game by, you know, helping me secure like a larger quantity of tiles uh which will ultimately be more points overall is is really a strategic decision in a lot of ways and i think there are i'm curious what you think about this but i do think that there are almost like two different viable paths to victory in this game that you could go for one being like trying to claim space you know Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the game you can be like i'm just focusing on you know sectioning off the board in such a way that I'm claiming as much space as possible. But if you do that, you might lose to somebody who's just saying like, okay, well, if you're doing that, I don't really care if you get, you know, twice as many tiles as me. Cause like all the tiles I'm getting are going to be the ones worth three and two, you know? So at the end of the game, you know, mine, my tiles uh, are, are two, 2.5 X value of yours, even though you have twice as many tiles as me. Yeah, that's it's really interesting because I feel like both strategies can end up converging in some ways. Mm-hmm. Though there's definitely the the I think on playing a bunch in person and then playing on Yukata a lot, there's definitely the person who they go into the game and they say, I'm only gonna take small moves, I'm gonna ignore the three value fish, and my whole goal is carving out large flows for the most part. And then there yeah, I think in that way, the most basic strategy of like both these strategies lead in the same direction in some ways, um, because by carving out an ice flow, you're trying to carve out one where that's going to have twos and maybe even a three uh, and a bunch of ones. That's just but the way gonna it's going to work. But there's going to be a lot of people competing for, for those if, if it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if there's a bunch of three tiles over there, like good. Yeah, like that would be great slide in. to carve it off by yourself. But probably people aren't going to let you have that totally and then there's 
the because there's the other people who are going in and saying, okay, I'll just snag all the threes and twos that I can early on, and then I'll sort out the end game. It'll it'll become clear how how to make that work. And I think, yeah, I love that about the game. I think that it's two strategic paths that lead ultimately to that same destination, but right. in an interesting in an interesting way. Yeah, and it's probably going to come down to in, in in many cases what I've seen in our games is that it'll kind of come down to how well the the person making the playing that area control game like trying to claim the most tiles is able to execute yeah throughout the game because if it, you come to an end game where you know if i'm the one going for the the high value tiles and we get to the end game and you know you haven't been able to create a game state in such a way that i have no options and i'm able just to slide even one penguin into a space that you don't want to be um then that's probably, you know, all she wrote. So I find myself, yeah, I feel like in, in my place, I find myself more going for like the high value tiles mm. early in the game. And I'm rarely the one who, who ends the game with the most tiles unless something's gone horribly awry for my opponents. <laughs> uh, and, and I feel like that puts like more pressure. Like there, I, I think it's like you, it demands more execution of you if you're trying to like play that territory control game perfectly. I feel like this is fitting into the paradigm in which we approach games often, which is that you like your path, optimal path through the game is the, every turn you want to just get as many sure bet points as you can. And I play games where I want to see how I can take interesting risks to have really high payout that would secure victory. Because I started off going for lots of threes, but now strategically, I feel like whenever I sit down to play this game, I'm like, I just want to get the biggest ice float I possibly can. I want to sit there and smile as I collect every individual tile and make smart bets. And the reason they feel like bets really is because it's impossible to see the consequences of your decisions outside of their immediate consequences because your decisions, the consequences of them are wholly dependent on your opponents um, and what they end up doing. So that's why they feel like bets. Um, and I love that about the game. But that's, yeah, that's definitely the two sort of different ways that we approach it, I think. Yeah. No, like most cool. games. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, yeah. We've, we've been uh, uh, playing a lot with in three player games with Endure from our Discord. And he's been whipping up on us using. Oh my gosh. It seems like primarily their strategy control. is to go for the area control yep. and are very frequently executing it perfectly. So, where we get to the end of the game state and I'll be like tied and lose the tie break, which is having the most tiles claim. Yeah, you know, or I'll be one point behind or something like that, you know. And I think a big part of that too is the way that Ender plays the game and what they've shown me is the one way in which the strategy of territorial control in which you can make it you have potential to amplify the power of your penguins by them being closer to each other because you're locking down more more spaces in close proximity, which is shutting down actions potentially in angles that your opponents get in. Whereas sometimes if you take the strategy of trying to lock down a bunch of high value tiles initially and then sort things out, you're spreading yourself out more and overextending to get there. So it can be more difficult. And I feel, I don't know that we've said this explicitly yet, but one thing that's awesome about, hey, that's my fish, is sometimes not moving a penguin quite literally can be just as powerful as moving it. 
Um, and you can exert a lot of pressure on the board just by leaving a penguin in the initial place that you've placed it and then working around it throughout the game with the decisions you make until the right moment where you sort of cut everything off with a move that you've set up. Right, right. The best place, you know, a be- the best positioning in the game would be having a penguin on the board that can do two equally powerful things. Yeah. And you're forcing your opponent to choose first because that's yeah. them giving up tempo when you're quite literally are in a position where you don't care. You're like, yeah. I can go this way or I can go this way. Why don't you waste your time moving that direction? Because once they have committed to one direction, right, this gets back to the game of chicken. Well, I still don't have to move my fish because now I just know you're not going that way. So I can just continue to focus somewhere else on the board. And I feel like that is a, a way, you know, that, you know, more expert level or whatever you want to call it, more advanced level, uh, that value and efficiency is earned in the game. Yeah. One thing, I'm curious about your thoughts on this, Jake. So I talked about donkey space a little bit at the beginning. The And I think it most I, the reason why I keep going back to it is because in some ways, donkey space presumes that there's no optimal way to play a game, right? I know that you know, and my decision is impacted by your decision. So even in like rock, paper, scissors, I guess there is a, an optimal way to play that game where you just randomly choose a third of the time, unless your opponent has exploitable behavior, which becomes the interesting aspect of games built around donkey space is if you have inconsistent patterns to base around. And I feel like there's sort of different depths of games and the, the how how like how donkey is the donkey space in some ways, right? <laughs> like in rock, paper, scissors, it there's definitely donkey space, but if both players are playing optimally, truly picking each option a third of the time and they don't have any exploitable habits, um, it doesn't, it, there's not that much donkeyness in it in a way. Yeah. But yeah. here, wait, can I say it just really quickly? It, mm-hmm. But here, it's the valuations are so dependent on your opponent's choices on their turn and how it will play out that to me, it feels like so far, like it's so much donkey. It's just like all donkey space. But because it's that, it, it kind of fades away in some ways and you can only think about your choices at times. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of struggling with this because, like, for me, you know, if you want to talk about like game theory, like the game that makes more sense is chicken, right? Where two players both want the same thing and are taking like equal steps to get it until somebody is forced to change. And the reason I think that makes more sense than donkey space is because like, it's very easy or maybe not like super easy, but like much easier than something in like rock, paper, scissors, because I can look at the board and I pretty much know what you want, what my opponents want to do. Mm. And so I think you can really, you know, use that when you're making your decisions to where the game becomes a lot less about even like predicting what your opponent wants to do. And it becomes like forcing your opponent's behavior to change in a specific way through the implication of even a small movement. Do you feel like there's an inflection point then in every game of Hey, That's My Fish where your opponents, what they want becomes clear to you? Because I feel like early in the game, it's almost impossible to know for sure in some ways. Do you think that's wrong? I think that makes sense. Um, I do think there's an inflection point and I think it's less about like knowing what your opponents want to do. uh, And it's more about at a certain point in the game, like your opponent's flexibility to change mm. their path has is, dwindled is so much smaller than at the beginning of the game, where it's even 
it's not that it's I would say it's not that it's hard to know what your opponent wants to do even at the beginning of the game. It's just that uh, the game state is so fluctuates so quickly sure. that what your opponent wants to do fundamentally changes by you move a penguin into an area. But yeah. by the end, you know, it, they can't it can't fluctuate because they're they're theoretically locked in. Yep. Um, well said. Yeah. It's interesting too that this game follows the model. We we had talked about in our types of decision spaces original episode, Jake. You had you sort of posited. I wonder if waning decision space games always have to wane to zero. Um, and this is certainly an example of a game built around that idea of like you literally play the game. First, you play the game until there's no dis, uh, until you're out of decisions, and then you play until there's no choices left. And then you yeah. finish your last move where it's literally just one thing you're doing. It's a, yeah, it's not even an option. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is one other question I wanted to kind of bring up is like, what's your preferred player count for this game? Mm. Because I do think it feels really different at all play counts. It, one thing that we haven't gotten into is how political the game can potentially yeah. feel That's at a of table. Where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I really love playing the game at two players, but I also it I also enjoy it at three. And I think I enjoy it at a table with four people because I like the table talk and the dynamic. But I think online, I'm less interested in that because a lot of that aspect of the game just kind of fades away. Um, but I really like the sort of three penguins, three players jockeying for space. And I also like the coordination that you're able to achieve when you have four penguins on the board with in a two player game. How about you? I haven't played it as much at two, but I think that's my least favorite because mm. it loses that political aspect that just adds like such an extra layer of richness on top of this game. But a game that already feels like you know, so much deeper, more strategic and interesting than you would expect yeah. um, just in the strategy and tactics. And then you're playing at a full table of four players and the game even has a whole other layer on top of that of like, you know, like I'm saying uh, previously, like the game becomes as much about dictating the moves of your opponent as it does about like where you're actually going yourself. So I would say I actually like it best at four players because I think that's where um, that aspect of the game co comes through the best. Where at three, it's definitely there, but I'm just gonna hit. I'm just gonna hit this button because uh, I want to do this. Oh no! I meant to click the button for turbulence, and I X. I clicked X to delete it. Oh no! <laughs> it's perfect. It's it's turbulence in our turbulence. Uh, yeah. Um, so we're gonna do a little bit of. your captain speaking we are now approaching a little bit of turbulence please return to your seats and buckle your safety belts all right uh thank you captain so this is our first time using uh, an, a live soundboard on the podcast so apologize for that little turbulence to the turbulence but i did want to talk about like a, a couple of negative things i have about this game and one of them is something I've noticed in a lot of our three-player games, which I think it surprisingly becomes almost like very kingmaker-y um, in that it seems like the I've been presented in, in situations where it's like, okay, well, I literally just get to choose who wins here mm. based on if I 
move my penguin into Brendan's side of the board, or I move my penguin into Inder's side of the board. Um, and different people may resolve that different ways. Like you could say like, hey, like, you know, Brendan, you encroached on my territory. You've been screwing me over this game. So like, I don't want you to win. Or you could just say like, all right, it's my uh, duty you know, in this magic circle to just play in a way that I can maximize my score, even though either way I'm getting third place. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't think there's like a objectively right way to like answer that question uh, different players will interpret that situation differently. I typically tend to just like get my best score no matter what, uh, which can also feel bad because that's like throwing the victory to the, the person that costs you the win. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Like, it's just, it does seem like between three relatively uh, equally skilled people, um, quite often the game state does get resolved by that, which is kind of a, a bummer ending for what has been overall like super fun and satisfying game experiences. Yeah, I think that that's really fair. And it sort of begs the question of, is it a game that could end sooner in some ways? Or would it benefited from that? If the outcomes end up at that point so often, should the games not been designed around a way that it wanes to zero? And I think ultimately, it's just so exciting when it works. And I think it three player that happens more. That's been happening more for us. Um, but part of that too is just like a testament to the fact that somehow the system makes for such close games, which is really interesting when you can potentially claim so much territory. Um, so I'd I guess what I'm saying is. I, I share that turbulence, though the payoff of the excitement of everyone being in the game by the end, for me, I'd rather just have a game end on a low note and then say, okay, let's just play again. It's a 10-minute game than a game that didn't impart the memories that it does. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And the other turbulence I wanted to bring up is this is like, I don't know. I don't want to say it's like super small because like it is legitimately drives me insane. But this is the first game that I've ever like bought after playing online. And mm. then I like go to play it in person and I'm like, oh my God, like the setup, the setup is so obnoxious in this game, especially with, and maybe this is not as bad if you have like one of the older editions with like bigger tiles, but you've got these 60 like tiny little cardboard tiles that are like about like the size of a quarter and you have to like put them in this specific pattern and it takes literally as long as it does to play the game, you know, which is like 10 minutes in 10 minutes or something, or, you know, maybe not, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but the first time I played it, I was like, oh my God, like I did not realize like what, how much work the online implementation is doing by just randomly generating the board and having it set up there. When I first got the game, Maya and I really enjoyed it. And then we stopped playing it for a long time. And part of the reason was because I think when you're not playing the game, you feel like it takes just as long to set up as it does to play. You for But I would say after playing it online a bunch, after we decided to go back to it for the podcast, Maya and I have been drawn to playing it more offline again. And like we've remembered, oh yeah, this is really fun and it's worth it. But it's definitely a game where one person shouldn't be setting it up for everyone else. Everyone who's playing should participate in setting it up for everyone. And then it sort of takes the the edge off a little bit. It takes bit. less time. But it, yeah. does, it just feels like the setup time versus play time is like yeah. a little bit out of whack, which is like for a game that plays so short, you know, it's going to be tougher to balance that. And it's worth it because of like of the variable play experience. But it's just kind of like, 
I just maybe I just wish this wasn't such a tiny game. Like I sure. feel like the production would have been aided by just like increasing the size of the tile by like, you know, half or something. Totally. I I'm right there with you, Jake. I think a tiny bit larger tile could still be a travel size game that could fit like on the table at a restaurant, but be slightly easier to set up. I feel like the one other thing that we'd be remiss not to mention, though, this is another thing where it's sort of like this, just the cost to do in business with this type of abstract game of this weight is the scoring at the end. Um, like counting up your tiles, it like takes a little bit of time. There's a little bit of math there. It doesn't bother me. Um, but if I could see it sort of getting at players who want the last move in their games to be definitive. But yeah. I like the tension of like, okay, I'm counting, I'm counting, and then everyone waits. And then you sort of break the spell on the magic circle by everyone saying their value at the same time. Yeah, and I, I actually like it too because you put it, uh, you can put them face down when you claim them, right? Of course, if you're playing online, you know exactly how many uh, tiles, right? how many points everybody has. And it creates a situation because of that where you can like literally, you know, you're five or six turns in the game and you're like, okay, well, this is over. Now we're just going through the motions because like this person has, you know, inevitably is getting like X more points. Where if you're playing in person, you, you don't know that. Um, and that actually might help to resolve some of that kingmaker issue that I've been experiencing so much playing three players, right? If you don't know exactly who's winning, then it might be, you know, you even if you are making a movement that's ultimately king-making, the fact that everyone at the table isn't like explicitly aware that that's happening could dampen it. Because then you're making the actual like decision, like, oh, I think this person's winning, so I mm. should go in that direction. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Very well put, Jake. I have a question for you. Okay. Maybe a closing question. What's the perfect situation for you to play this game in? Like if, if you, Jake, could play this game in your next play anywhere, at, what are the circumstances in which you would play it? So this is a game I got uh, my physical copy of for Christmas. And it's a game I've enjoyed most playing with family and like non-gamers or, or you know, uh, light gamers. Um, because I just think it works so well, right? It's instantly yeah. understandable. You know, it's like, it's literally more easier to understand and teach than checkers. Um, and, you know, you're up in, you know, the, the biggest barrier to entry, I think, is the rules teach in so many situations. And this rules teach is like as quick as any game, period. Um, and so I think because of that, like, that to me is like the comparative advantage for this game. Like the reason I love having it in the collection and want to keep playing it um, is, is because it has such a small rules overhead. And I think that's why, you know, if I'm playing with a bunch of friends, I might not go to this just because I know I've get the opportunity to play it in those other situations. So for me, that is like its purpose in my collection and it does that job so well. Yeah. I think that, that kind of sums up my, I, I think that's a great answer as well. I will say my like future perfect setting will be like putting this game in front of like a bunch of eight year olds. That's like a, a long way off for me, but I would love to see like my when my friends that do have kids and like our child, I would like to set them all up and like say, go claim fish and just watch them learn to play because I think that would be a really fun like it's something that you could grasp really quickly and watching it play out. I think it would be a fun game to watch kids like learn how to play. Awesome. Well, I think that is going to do it for this week's episode of Decision Space. 
Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Brendan, it's always great talking to you. Pleasure as always. You take care, Jake. Exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.